Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome to the Politics Guys with your hosts, Dave Carson and Michael Darnowski. Welcome to the Politics Guys. I'm Michael Baranowski, a political scientist at Northern Kentucky University. My co-host this week, as always, is Cleveland area attorney and sometime Republican strategist Jay Carson. Before we get to our top story this week, we've got a listener comment from our show of May 1st, where we talked about voting laws in Texas. Evelyn from Houston, Texas, wrote in to say this, Jay repeatedly stated that any voter can vote by mail in Texas. That information is inaccurate. Voting by mail is permitted only in a few specific circumstances, such as if the eligible voter is elderly, disabled, physically out of the country during early voting, and on election day, or confined in jail. So thanks very much, Evelyn, for pointing that out. Um, and, uh, and, and Evelyn, you are absolutely right, and I am absolutely wrong. So I, I apologize, and uh, again, I would say we... While we strive for excellence uh, every week, uh, we don't always uh, don't always get there. And in looking through Texas's uh, 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 mail vote by mail, <clears throat> I sort of made the mistaken assumption that it works similar to uh, Ohio's vote by mail, which isn't all open. You can vote whatever. So um, my apologies and thanks for the correction. Yeah, and and if and if you hear anything that that you don't think is correct, and you can you know send us a correction, especially especially like Evelyn did with a with a link to the Texas Secretary of State site, so we could actually check on that. That's great. We you know if we, if we're wrong, we're happy to admit it, and we you know, we think it's great if we can learn from our listeners too. So thanks very much. All right. On to our top story for this week, the race for the Democratic presidential nomination. In the latest primary in West Virginia, Bernie Sanders came out on top, winning 18 delegates to Hillary Clinton's 11. It's the 20th state Sanders has won to Clinton's 26. Now, if you look in terms of pledged delegates, things appear almost within reach for Sanders. He's managed to capture nearly 46% of all the delegates up, to grab, up for grabs in primaries and caucuses to this point. Though once you add in the unpledged superdelegates who have committed to each candidate, Clinton's leads grows considerably. She now has 2,240 total delegates, and that's about 94% of the 2383 needed for the nomination. In other words, it will all be over very soon for Bernie Sanders. But oh, I, I wouldn't say that. I- well, well, all be over <laughs> in terms of the nomination, but certainly Bernie Sanders' effect is still being felt. Like, for instance, uh, as, one, as you know, we've pointed out before, Bernie Sanders' continued presence in the race is definitely moving Hillary Clinton to the left on some issues. Like, for instance, this last week on health care, Hillary Clinton suggested that maybe people should be able to buy into Medicare at a younger age, 50 or 55, which is absolutely a move to the left for her. And that almost certainly wouldn't have happened without Bernie Sanders. And that's something that could potentially come back to make it harder for her in the general election campaign, I would say. I'm not necessarily sure that's a move to the left. Um, It's a move, and I think it might be a almost like here's another alternative to Obamacare. I guess you could say any any expansion of a a federal uh, insurance program is is to some extent a move to the left. Although she does talk about buying it as opposed to just expanding it, right? Uh, uh, But that sort of that's always sort of the next step is you you buy in and then you get the subsidies so that you don't pay for it or something. But um, uh, yeah, his effect though is is still going to be felt. Uh, in terms of driving turnout uh, for for Hillary, I think once she is the nominee, 
uh, and I think driving turnout and working in uh, contested Senate districts, uh, states. Uh, I think that's that's going to be his his next role is sort of mobilizing uh, these younger um, uh, voters uh, to to get out there and 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 uh, either either support Hillary uh, and um, um, support uh, various Senate candidates. Yeah, you know, some people have said that uh, because of that, because of the enthusiasm, enthusiasm that uh, Bernie Sanders has has uh, raised, that certainly Hillary Clinton cannot match. That for that reason, he would be an ideal vice presidential pick. Not only that, but given his age, the, the idea that he would actually be interested in running again in in four years or eight years, it's it's you know it's it's fairly unlikely. So he'd have kind of a Cheney esque sort of uh, approach to it, though obviously very Gravitas. much from the other side. Yeah, you know, so I don't know. I, I I tend to doubt that that would happen. I don't really see Bernie Sanders in that role, but I can certainly understand the logic behind uh, that choice. But I'd be I'd be sort of surprised if that would happen. I would also be surprised. I, I think they're Sanders and Clinton are are too different, um, uh, not only in, in policy positions, but just as as people and as presentation. I think uh, um, uh, to put them on the stage together. There'd be sort of a, uh, it would be sort of jarring, sort of cognitive dissonance, sort of, you know, um, and uh, I think I think Bernie would do himself a disservice uh, by doing that because uh, then all the folks who are, you know, Bernie supporters are, if nothing else, terribly earnest, um, uh, would would see him as sort of selling out, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, whereas he could he could remain just Bernie Sanders and be out there and run his own organization, just go around, make speeches, whatever, certainly still have a, uh, a spotlight uh, uh, time slot at the Democratic convention. Um, but uh, uh, not the, the two of them campaigning together, I think, would just – I think that would be difficult. Yeah, it would, it would feel really weird too, I think. But, but yeah, you know, and I also wanted to mention there's one big thing that's still hanging over Hillary Clinton, and that's, of course, the email inquiry. And uh, there was some news about this in the last week. Uh, on Wednesday, the director of the FBI said that uh, he was going to take his time, uh, not that he was going to delay the investigation, but he was not going to rush. And uh, he was not setting himself to an election timetable and would not say whether or not it would be wrapped up by the time of the uh, presidential election. Now, there are some folks on the right who are saying that, well, of course, it's it's Obama's FBI. And, yeah, exactly. The fix is in. And I don't know. I tend to I tend to doubt that. I mean, I, I don't I don't tend to think that that's really there's anything certainly to back that up. But that's, of course, how conspiracy theories work. Uh, but I thought from the beginning that this was. Not really that big of a deal. Uh, now you probably might disagree with me a little bit, but but anyway, I think that still, you know, that other shoe could drop. And if there is if there is a report that's in before the election and it is damaging to Hillary Clinton, what's that going to do for her? Well, it certainly can't help. Right. Um, well, when you say, I mean, not that big a deal, I guess I would qualify. Whether you mean not that big a deal politically, uh, in which case I would agree with you. Uh, if it's not that big a deal legally. Um, yeah, maybe not. If it's not that big a deal ethically, well, then I definitely disagree with you. Um, but the fact that we're talking about the FBI director saying he's not sure when he's going to conclude his investigation of the, at this point, we would say the front runner for the presidency. Um, you know, if, if, again, just repeat those words to yourself. <laughs> and, and that sort of will give you a sense of, of, you know, where we are and sure. why a lot of Republicans are, are really troubled by this. Oh, yeah. 
and it plays into the larger narrative of you know built up over decades about Hillary Clinton is that you know she is as as Donald puts it crooked Hillary. Yes, and and that yes. certainly doesn't do her any good. But uh, anyway, we we uh, certainly hope that uh, I I certainly I hope that the investigation will be uh, wrapped up and there'll be a report on it before the election because I think it would be unfortunate if uh, if this waited until after the election were done just simply for the way it would look. Though again, I, I wouldn't want it to be. There's there's no way it looks it looks bad either way. Yeah, that's true. That's you know, true. let's put it this way: if they come out with a report that says one thing or another that Hillary is. A exonerated, uh, there will be folks who will say the fix was in uh, and this report was timed to coincide to, to, with her election. Yeah. Uh, if they say that uh, Hillary uh, is is criminally culpable or there is uh, probable cause to uh, pursue her this, this further, uh, again, folks on the left will say, it's a conspiracy. Absolutely, they're trying to throw throw yeah. this out. And, and, and if she, nothing happens, if nothing happens, uh, people will say it's conspiracy. So yeah. there's there's really no. It's sort of a no-win situation. So I think the FBI director is is making the correct statement and saying, "Look, I, I'm just going to take my time and make sure whatever I do, I get it right." Yeah, and you know, bottom line is. While while I hope that Hillary Clinton wins in November, she brought all this on herself. It was a, in regardless of what what people might conclude about the uh, the legal aspect of it, or the political aspect of it, or the ethical aspect of it. It was just a stupid thing to do to set up her own server for this. I mean, just a really bad tone deaf kind of idea, and that to me sort of summarizes Hillary Clinton. She's been doing dumb things politically kind of tone-deaf things like this out of some sense of paranoia or overprotectiveness or what have you for her entire career. And I think this is, you know, a big part of the problem with a lot of people, even on the left, have with Hillary Clinton is that this this feeling that, you know, she's constantly engaged in this kind of sort of paranoid sort of protectiveness that you don't really want in a president. Well, you know, I guess I would say, sir, it's the wisdom of, of setting up your own server, I think, is you know, probably remains to be seen as to how this plays out. Um, um, and, and it depends on what is, is found to have been on the server. It, if that, you know, the extent that information is still available. Uh, it, it's kind of like, uh, uh, you know, saying Tony Soprano's, uh, Tony Soprano messed up by the way he buried the bodies. Um, you know, it sort of, it sort of depends, you know, the, uh, who the bodies are and so forth. Um, I mean, it could, it could well be, that the information on the server uh, that she was using was so damning uh, that she had to, to, to set this up and, and hope that she'd get away with it. Um, yeah. But that, that, that kind of brings me to a, another point, something that just struck me the other day um, because, because you mentioned it, that look, uh, Hillary with this, this server, there's really, I would say, even, even if you're a Hillary supporter, there's, there's really no good argument for this. Nope. Um, there's, there's no way to say, uh, I did this, you know, I bought this second server to keep track of my yoga classes and Chelsea's wedding, uh, or so that I wouldn't have to use one device. Um, unless like the guy at the, uh, you know, the best buy just, just really upsold her. And she's even, she's admitted that, you know, finally yeah. she's admitted that was a, it was a, it was a bad move on her part. Well, <laughs> sort of like, yes, that was a, um, but I think the issue isn't so much that, and I would hope it's not that Democrats think that that was just okay. I, my sense, and I, and I want to qualify this, I get the same sense with Trump. 
um, is that we're in a situation now where, where our politics has become so polarized that we are willing to accept uh, a, a champion who may be uh, in many ways a terrible person. Horribly flawed. Uh, uh, simply because – we think uh, that, that they are likely to inflict damage on someone or some ones who, who are worse. And, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about uh, books and movies and, and you mentioned uh, Team America. Um, and, you know, on, on this show, we, we like to um, sometimes throw out allusions to Shostakovich and uh, a couple of weeks ago. Well, you do. Uh, You're I, the high tone I, mis- I misstated uh, – uh, uh, William Butler Yates, I, I said T.S. Eliot instead. Um, uh, but I, miss, I messed up the quote because it, it, was, it was an allusion for also from a Robert Bork book. So, so with that, that our typical highbrow uh, type thing, I think I mean, Team America, though, is, is really appropriate. And if, if folks haven't seen it, uh, it's, it was uh, written and directed by the guys who did South Park. Trey uh, Parker, and Matt Stone. Movement. Yeah. Uh, and uh, uh, it, is, it is horribly politically incorrect. It is not suitable for family viewing. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's funny as hell. Uh, and there's also a lot of wisdom and sort of one of the main themes of this, and I'll paraphrase because this is a family show, uh, is that uh, bad people will do bad things to good people. Uh, but bad people will also do bad things to even worse people. Ooh, that's a good paraphrase. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you can look it up on the internet, supposedly, I, I suppose. And it's much more get, pungent and straightforward, it does, yeah, in its uh, original I, I, form, I but we won't really go there. We're, we're a clean podcast, yeah. Um, yeah. But no, I think that's, I think but, that's a really good point. Sense of that. Yeah. There are a lot of Republicans who would agree that, look, is Trump's not a conservative? No, he's not a conservative. Uh, is, is he a jackass? Yeah. Is he a loudmouth? Yeah. And that's why we like him, because he will take on and he will beat up these folks who we see as being uh, worse than him. Uh, that being the Washington establishment, Hillary Clinton, Democrats, et cetera. Right. And by the same token, I think there are a lot of Democrats who say, uh, is, is Hillary, Hillary uh, uh, dishonest? Yes. <laughs> she, uh, you know, uh, all, all, the, all the things, all the adjectives you could, you could use to describe Hillary. Uh, and you would say, yes, she is, but uh, we're still willing to support her because she will use uh, those powers. those evil powers uh, against against worse evildoers. I Absolutely, guess is the best way to phrase it, and and I think this is something that it's a little different than a lot of other elections we've seen, uh, because we have two you know the two primary contenders uh, both have really high negatives. They would be the two most disliked uh, general election candidates, I believe, since the advent of modern polling. Yeah, even even amongst their own party. Yeah. Uh, and again, that's just sort of sort of baffling. And, and I guess this is the only explanation that I can come up with, uh, having you know both of us sort of been wrong to try to explain some of the like the Trump phenomenon um, uh, through you know through the, the last year or so. Yeah. Um, well, but uh, you know, what, so I, don't, I kind of want to get your thoughts on that, Mike. Is is that where we are? Because I think it's it's something different, not just lesser of two evils. Uh, it's sort of uh, um, I'm voting for this person because they're evil. Um, and please know I'm using the word evil sort of in, in air quotes here. Uh, you can't see. I'm not, I'm not suggesting, uh, you know, evil, evil. But, but again, certainly flawed, flawed characters. Jerry, are you going on the record, Jay, saying that Hillary Clinton is not evil? No, no, no. Don't. Oh, please don't. Yeah, you're not, not going to say that. You're not going to go quite that far. Okay. Okay. I just wanted to be clear on that. All right. No, I think there's, I think there's something to that. Uh, I have to give that a little more consideration. But, but yeah, I, I, think it makes, I, think, I think it makes a certain amount of sense. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. 
You know, um, let's talk a little bit about Donald Trump because, of course, he had yet another interesting week, I'd say, right? First, there was his claim that he had a mandate from the voters to be, well, Donald Trump, right, and that he wasn't planning to change his style or his positions for the general election. Then, of course, there was his announcement that he would not be releasing his tax returns, something that every Republican and Democrat nominee has done for the last 40 years or so. And then finally, yeah, finally there was his meeting with Speaker of the House Paul Ryan, who I should point out is the Republican Party's current top elected official. And that ended in, I guess you could say, kind of a partial thaw, but still, Paul Ryan is not ready to endorse Donald Trump. Now, I think the thing that's made the most news is Donald Trump's tax returns. So what do you think about that, Jay? Should Trump be releasing his tax returns and why isn't he? Um, absolutely. He should be releasing his tax returns. Uh, I, I don't know why he isn't uh, until I suppose until we see them. Um, there could be a variety of reasons. Some have posited that it's it's almost sort of a macho thing and it might show that he doesn't make as much money or he's not as worth as much as he, he uh, likes to say he is. Um which which would be weird. Well, there was <laughs> Again, that only weird for someone who's not Trump. When, when I mean, you release the tax returns is that it's going to show that you're a, a rich plutocrat like Mitt Romney and so forth. Um, you know, or it's going to show that you don't give anything to charity, or um, uh, or you know, you you do all sorts of things to you know artificially lower your tax rate. I'm not suggesting any illegality in that, um, but but it's sort of if if all those things were true. That's sort of what you would expect of Donald Trump, but I don't, I don't yeah. see why you would. Um, it's it's odd for me. Shy, why why would he shy away from that? Yeah, you know? you know it's odd for me to say this, but here's a case where Hillary Clinton is far more transparent. Uh, you can go on her website, which I did a few days ago, and pull up. Uh, Pretty much any of her tax returns, the Clintons have released all of their tax returns since they started in public life sometime in the 1970s. Uh, whereas Donald Trump, you know, in the past, he said that he would release returns. This is before he was running, but he never has. And his claim that he's not releasing it because he's under audit rings a little hollow because presidential uh, candidates have, in fact, released their tax returns when they're under audit. Richard Nixon released his when he was under audit. And so I think all of Trump's claims ring very very hollow. And I think Hillary Clinton's right here saying that, well, if he's not releasing his tax returns, there's probably a good reason for him not to be releasing his tax returns. And you know, Jay, it could just be as simple as his returns show that he's not as magnificently wealthy as uh, he's led he's led people to believe. And that may sound weird for normal people, but not for Donald Trump. In fact, there was a reporter a few years back who wrote an article claiming that Donald Trump was worth only like around $250 million or so. And what did Trump do? Well, Trump sued the guy. Uh, I mean, you know, that Trump's very sensitive about that, about the, the size of his income, the size of his hands, all that kind of stuff, right. you I know? Think, I think Spy Magazine, who used to pick on Absolutely. the hand thing, too, uh, I think... I used to routine, routinely uh, refer to him as uh, thousandaire uh, Donald Trump, yeah, yeah I, um, which, which again would just just to infuriate him. And so, and so I really think I'm I'm curious to see if the pressure is going to get intense enough that he'll finally be forced to release them. But somehow I don't see that happening. And I think this ties in with his you know, with his claim that, you know, he has a mandate from the voters. And I think in a sense he does have a mandate. He has a mandate from a segment of the Republican Party. 
to, to, to be what he is. And I think it would really ruin his what chances he has if he shifts, because at the heart of his appeal is that authenticity, the same sort of thing that Bernie Sanders shares. And this kind of ties into what you said earlier about the idea that Bernie Sanders would be seen as a sellout. If he's if he takes the second spot to Hillary Clinton in the same way, I think if Donald Trump starts moderating his tone, he loses what's made him the uh, the people's choice in the Republican Party. So I think he's kind of boxed himself into a corner here and he can't really change. And that works out well because he doesn't want to change. And that's why I think when you know, when push comes to shove that he's going to end up going down, you know, going down in flames in the general election because he was never designed to be a good general election candidate. And that's obviously the thing that has so many people in the Republican Party really worried. Yeah. Um, Again, although although all that may be true, I still like just release the tax returns. It's a it's a weird, dumb, um, you know. But but again, maybe just it might just be that that weird personal uh, Trump sort of thing. Yeah. I mean, we yeah. sh- we shouldn't we shouldn't discount that. Everyone is saying, well, it's because he's crooked and so forth. It could just be as simple as he doesn't want to admit how little he how little taxable income he had in yeah. in twenty you know twenty fourteen twenty fifteen. And that for Trump, that would make total sense. For for normal people, not so much. But Trump logic is a, oftentimes a different thing from uh, from what we've uh, been accustomed to from politicians. And you know, speaking of uh, Republican leaders being and, and top Republicans being concerned, uh, I'm sure. You You've heard, Jay, there was a move uh, in this last week uh, led by none other than the 2012 presidential nominee of the party, Mitt Romney, to look into drafting a third party candidate, uh, somebody who would ideally keep Donald Trump out of the White House. Now, should point out that uh, no matter almost no matter what at this point, there's about zero chance that an independent candidate could outright win. But the thinking, I think, is that. It could perhaps deny anyone enough electoral votes to right. uh, to throw it into the House, and then who knows what would happen? I, I mean, it's it's been a long time since that actually has happened. But uh, and at this point, apparently, from what they're saying, is that uh, some insiders have uh, commissioned some polls. They're looking into feasibility of getting on the ballot in some states. And again, the strategy would be one not of trying to win, but to try to focus on a few key states that maybe they could get enough. If they won them, could get enough to, electoral votes to, yeah, deny a majority. Deny either other candidate a majority. Yeah, i I think it's a I think it's a long shot, but it would sure it sure be interesting to see where that goes. Though I don't really see that. I mean, the problem I think with this is who are you going to run? Now they've talked to Ben Sass about that, the uh, senator from Nebraska. They've talked to John Kasich, apparently, who's his people say he's not really interested. And you can kind of understand why, because if you're the conservative who agrees to do this and as what's almost certainly going to happen is you split the conservative vote and then Hillary Clinton wins even bigger, are you going to be blamed for doing that? You know, and that, that could effectively end your political career, or certainly it could limit your right. and the, and the future other piece aspirations. Of it is, it, it, if you're a someone who's already been in the election uh, and is now dropping out to run as a third party, it, it's sort of there's the sour grape sort of argument. Yeah, um, uh, I think that you get sort of tarred tarred with um, uh, the other the other name that I had heard uh, and and read about this this sort of long shot theory would be Mitt Romney himself. Uh, the idea being uh, Romney could win Utah, uh, and you say, why the hell does it matter if you win Utah? 
Um, it's not particularly Utah, but but whoever this other third person would be uh, would have to win a state uh, <laughs> or right. two at least because to make any electoral difference. And, and I think there there was some some looking at who could win a state. Um, Which is why uh, John Kasich, you know, yeah, could potentially I mean, win Ohio. Might, although, you know, again, Kasich versus uh, Hillary Trump in Ohio, I, I don't know. I think I think what would happen is you'd split the vote there. Yeah. Um, and so it is. That's that's the very reason it's kind of the longest of long shots. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but you know, this is the this is a strange year, and 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 so many strange things have happened so far. I wouldn't I wouldn't discount it. The other part of this, though that I think is important is it would give a home to what were the sort of what they're calling the never Trump movement or sort of the mm-hmm. uh, intellectual conservatives um, uh, that, that are, uh, you know, troubled and, and say, look, I, I, there's no way I can vote for Trump just on um, just on principle. Uh, even if that were to mean an election of failure, it would give them sort of a home, a place to go uh, and-, and a base from which, uh, you know, supposing Trump crashes and burns to say, look, we told you so. Yeah. And I'd say not only that, but, you know, some of those folks might say, well, I, I'm, I can't vote for Trump. I can't vote for Hillary. So I'm just going to stay home and not vote. But if they have a candidate they can vote for, maybe they vote. And even if that candidate doesn't win, they're going to vote for some down ticket races where which could really help out some conservatives. And I think that's what a yes. lot of the Republican elites are focused on. Uh, they've a lot of them have basically written off the White House. And so they're saying, what can we do to best protect our congressional majorities? And, you know, you can see this as a, a, a long shot, but potentially useful strategy along those lines. No, I, I, I'd say it's, it's not a but. I think it's both. It's a long shot uh, presidentially, but it's a useful strategy uh, in terms of building and preserving uh, the party, um, you know, both in, in Congress and, you know, laying the groundwork for something in the future. Yeah, Absolutely. Okay. You know, before we get to our next story, uh, we'd like to thank everyone who's left a review or a rating of the show on iTunes. Uh, Two weeks ago, we were at 26 reviews and 33 ratings. I just looked this morning. We're up to 65 reviews and 76 ratings. Now, yeah. Now, that's a lot of growth, though. I should point out that our number of of reviewers is still less than 1% of our iTunes listeners. So, guys, if you've been, and women, uh, I don't want to be sexist on this, if you've been listening to the show for a while, and you like what you've been hearing, we hope you'll consider going to the show's iTunes page and leaving a review. And we have a link there on our site, politicsguys.com. And next, we'd like to thank our new supporters this week. It was a big week for sustaining supporters through Patreon, where people can make a regular monthly contribution to the show. So first, there's Gabe from Indianapolis, Indiana. Thank you very much, Gabe. Uh, We have Ron from Chattanooga, Tennessee. And Ron writes, Thanks for, thanks for providing an informed civil podcast. And well, yeah, and finally, we have Antoinette from San Francisco who writes, I love how both of you take the opposite argument on merit, agreeing with certain aspects and providing a rationale for disagreeing with other aspects instead of wholly rebuking the argument or creating logical fallacies like people do on other programs. I well, thought thanks, that, Yeah, that's, 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 that's really lot. nice. Absolutely. And we also have a new supporter through PayPal this, re- this week, uh, Gary from Houston, Texas. So thank you, Gary. Uh, and if you're interested in helping us pay the bills and keep the show going, like Gabe, Ron, Antoinette, and Gary uh, have so generously done, you can go to politicsguys.com and click on either the PayPal or Patreon donation links we've got up there.
Okay, on to our next story. Jay, I, I, I hate to say it, but bathrooms again. Uh, the transgender bathroom issue we talked about last week remains in the news thanks to dueling lawsuits. Now, the first one was from North Carolina, which claimed that by classifying gender identity as discrimination as a form of sex discrimination, the Obama administration was stretching the 1964 Civil Rights Act beyond its proper meaning. Hours yes. later... <laughs> I thought you might agree with that. <laughs> Hours later, the Justice Department returned fire. They brought suit against North Carolina for its law that requires bathrooms and locker rooms in all government facilities in the state to be separate based on biological sex. And when she was commenting on the law, Attorney General Loretta Lynch compared it to measures from the days of racial segregation in the South where blacks are forced to use different bathrooms and water fountains from whites. Um, exactly the same thing. Yeah. Now, I, I have to admit, I think that I think that was a was a stretch. Uh, I should also point it out. There was some kind of related news uh, this week. Uh, the Obama administration directed schools across the country to provide transgender students with bathrooms that match their gender identity. And. The authority they cited for this was Title IX of the Higher Education Amendments in 1972, which prohibits sexual discrimination at educational institutions that receive federal funding, which is pretty much all of them Everywhere. at this point. Yeah, basically. Um, well, I, I think I think you buried the lead there, and then the the biggest of those uh, was the the guidance coming from from the White House on on Title IX, um, uh, which which to me is sort of a a stunning <laughs> overreach uh, and just, you know, look, this to me and I would think to a lot of people, this is sort of mind boggling in that um, had anyone even heard of this issue six weeks ago? Um, and, and, and now we are, we are engaged in this, uh, uh, this, this fight um, over something that uh, ought to really have just been handled on a case by case basis locally uh, as it, as it, I imagine it has for, for years. Um, so well, I, you know, I, I guess that's, that's what, what troubles me. And I also want to preference, I have, I have nothing but, but sympathy for, for the folks who are, are transgendered. I think that that must be incredibly difficult to live with. Uh, and, and you ought to be able to, uh, go to the bathroom, uh, where you want, uh, without fear of, of, of harassment or abuse. Um, but it's something else entirely to say that uh, the president, by edict, ought to be telling school boards across the country uh, how they ought to to you know well, where, where kids ought to go to the bathroom or shower. I, I, that's, that's what troubles me. I see what you're saying, and you know, uh, uh, Representative Thomas Massey from Kentucky actually would agree with that, and he he said that you know that the president uh, or Congress really shouldn't be uh, essentially dictating uh, bathroom policy to the states and. The problem I have with that is that that part of Title IX that says, you know, that, that's about receiving federal funding. And so to me, it's the idea that you can do what you want and still get the federal money. Uh-uh. If you're taking that federal money, you have to play by their rules. And if you don't want to play by their rules, that's fine. You certainly have the right to do that. Then you give up that federal money. That's, you can't just, can't just say, well, we want to play by our own rules, but oh yeah, we'd still like all your money. Uh -huh. Yeah, no, no, I, I think you're, I think you're right there. Um, you know, it's, it's the power of Congress to, uh, compel people to do things through, through its, its taxing power or, or by, by giving the money, uh, uh, conditionally. Yeah, that's, that's, I don't, <laughs> that's legit from a constitutional standpoint. 
which is which is this goes to a reason I think conservatives have so much trouble and and are so often misunderstood when we say things like look we don't need new regulations we don't need a new law because it will just cause trouble down the road uh you know do we oppose uh additional money for education oh my gosh why do you hate the children no it's not because we hate the children uh it's because you set up this system where the more federal money that is is put out there, the more local control is lost. Dependency, yeah. Um, and I, I think that's sort of the, the bigger conservative argument of, of why the federal government ought not to uh, be overly involved in education, um, uh, especially at the K through 12 level. If you remember, one of the, one of the promises that Ronald Reagan made that did not keep uh, was to eliminate the Federal Department of Education, which didn't exist, I think, until probably 1977, 78. Um, Relatively recent, uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, and, uh, and many people would argue that American education was better before it, uh, uh, and perhaps perhaps because of it. Yeah, um, but but setting aside, no, I don't think there's a constitutional issue as far as the president uh, saying this. I, I think there's there is a legal issue in turn. Well, I, I shouldn't. I should back back up a little bit. I mean, it might be a constitutional issue in terms of uh, the, the authority of, of an executive agency, uh, overreaching and sort of stepping into statutory, uh, doing something that ought to be done by statute statute as, as opposed to uh, executive interpretation. Um, but it's not a, a constitutional issue with a, with a capital C, if you yeah. know what I mean. Yeah. And I think one thing that's still unclear on this is, you know, that the focus is on sexual discrimination and does sexual discrimination mean discriminating against transgendered people. Well, the thing is, is that's not a settled point of law and different appellate courts have come to different conclusions on that. And until there's a ruling from the Supreme Court on that, we're not going to have clarity on that. I would expect that given, you know, generally speaking, one of the main things that causes the Supreme Court to want to take up a case is when uh, is when appellate courts reach different opinions on this, which has happened. And so I wouldn't be surprised in the next few years if the court actually did take this up. And I certainly hope they will. So we can have some clarity on, you know, on what exactly this means. Right. And and setting all that aside, the, the constitutional part of it, just from a policy aspect of it, uh, I think this is this is this is crazy, um, particularly. Uh, and this is, again, sort of the ham fisted federal government, you know, they like to like to pick on. But you're going to announce this this uh, so-called guidance, and it's not guidance; it's it's an it's an edict. I mean, let's put this sure um, that, uh, and you're going to do this a couple weeks before school is over. Um, I think. Keep that's in mind the, if oh, go ahead. Sorry. Uh, keep in mind if if you if you had had waited a couple weeks, um, even if you were going to do this, which which again is is absolutely ridiculous, and I think you could have. Uh, there, there's absolutely no reason the federal government needed to weigh in on this. Um, you, you could have waited till school was out. So now, now administrators aren't, you know, struggling. What are we going to do Monday uh, when when uh, some boy says I'd like to use the girls' locker room? Yeah, I think um, now if I'm if I'm I believe that the schools have a certain amount of time to comply with this, and so if they were going to do it, I'd rather have them do it as early as possible, give the schools as much time. But I see what you're saying. To me, I'm actually really glad that the Obama the Obama administration has done this because what I think they're doing, and this is where I see the real value in it, is they're they're forcing the issue. 
And the more they push this issue, the more they're going to force some sort of resolution, a legal resolution from the Supreme Court, at least I hope so, so we can get some clarity on this and we can move on. And so not only that, but the underlying issue, I believe that the sexual discrimination does in fact include discrimination against transgender folks. And so I I think the Obama administration is in the right uh, as a matter of law, though, of course, you know, I'm not on the Supreme Court, unfortunately, so we'll have to see about that. Here's here's the the, what what troubles me about this. And again, this goes back to just the conservative, I don't know, basics. If you were to have argued in 1973 when Title IX passed that you know what's going to happen? If someone stood on the floor of Congress and said, we can't pass this because this is going to mean that people can use whatever bathrooms they want. Men can walk into women's bathrooms and vice versa. Uh, you would have been largely ridiculed. A lot of people did make that argument uh, later in the 70s in regard to the ERA. Uh, and again, it was one of these sort of laughed off of, oh, come on, you can't be serious. Um, but, but here we are. Uh, and I can't imagine that any member of Congress who voted for Title IX – uh, believed that this is how it would be interpreted, that this is how it would uh, uh, be used. And, and it's, it's sort of like beyond just having a, you know, as, as the, the liberals would like to have a, a living constitution, we now sort of have a, a liver, living, uh, uh, you know, federal annotated code where, where again, this, these, these ideas just, you know, there's there's no new enactments. It just sort of it just sort of changes. Well, and that's that's really troubling from from the standpoint of running a constitutional republic. No, so but um, couldn't couldn't you use that same logic uh, on on Second Amendment issues, saying that well, the framers certainly had you know no no understanding that you know we were talk we'd be talking about you know uh, semi-automatic or automatic weapons that could just you know d- destroy entire uh, classrooms or things like that when they were writing the second amendment so I, I honestly feel that, that and here's where we have a fundamental disagreement that uh, the constitution is an evolving document and that our understanding of terms and things, I mean, our scientific understanding of what actually constituted uh, transgenderism or sexual identity, that's, that's changed enormously in the last 20, 30 years. And I think as those things change, we, we change our interpretations. Now, I know you and I disagree no, no, no. on here, that. Here, you, you know, sir, I'm going with this. And in, in that case, that's what ought to happen is if, if Congress wants to enact to, to, to amend Title IX to say that, that's a completely different situation. If Congress wants to say, we're going to hold hearings, we're going to hear from uh, uh, scientists, we're going, to, we're going to hear from transgendered people, we're going to hear from people who oppose this. And, and we, we sort it out and we say, listen, here is the, this is the state of the science of what we believe, uh, you know, how we ought to define sex. Uh, is, it's more than, a, 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 more than your body parts. And there might be scientists on the other side who say, no, listen, sometimes kids particularly uh, go through phases where they, they feel uncomfortable in their body. They're not sure who they are, where they're going. Uh, and, and it is a phase. And, to, you know, do we label that as, as transgendered as something? I, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't have that expertise. And that's sort of, that's sort of my point is uh, if we're going to make these decisions, then we ought to go through the process. Yeah. Uh, and have it statutory and make findings in Congress saying this is why we're doing it as opposed to just having uh, by edict um, an administrative agency and or the president say here's the new policy. We're rewriting uh, 
uh, Title IX to suit our needs now, and we're going around Congress because we don't really like the right. people who are in charge of Congress now. No, I, I understand your argument. I think it's uh, in many ways it's a reasonable argument. I just uh, disagree with it uh, a little bit, but I think certainly that is an absolutely you know logically consistent argument. Uh, I just I think it you know it hinges on uh, what's how much leeway should the executive have to interpret these things, and and pretty clearly we well, and there's and there's and let's put it this way there's a whole body of, of administrative law out there as, as to how things go. There's a, you know, there you give deference to agency interpretations, and but then it has to be reasonably tied to the statute sure. and so forth. So it's not it's not like this has never happened before. No, not at all. Uh, but this is one of the more glaring examples, and usually it happens on something uh, that is more. Uh, I don't want to say detailed, minute, uh, no, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Where, where an agency, you know, uses its discretion, um, it, yeah. it usually is on terms and so forth that are, are not so much uh, used in the general public. Yeah. I don't know if I said that. Yeah, well, I, I think we should point out, and here's on something you and I will definitely, definitely agree on, is that uh, once President Obama realized he pretty much had no future getting any bills through Congress, he has definitely pushed the envelope uh, on a lot of these things. And in some instances, I, I agree with you that he has gone too far and he has stretched the meaning of statutes past any reasonable intent or meaning of Congress. I think the best example of it would be on the immigration issue, where I totally agree with President Obama's goals, but I feel like he absolutely overstepped his executive authority. And so this is another one of these questions is, has the administration overstepped its authority? This is in this particular instance. I think that they've kind of walked up to the line, but I still think they're on the right side of the line. Though I, I certainly can understand your argument that they've actually stepped over the line in this case. Yeah. So yeah. all right. Um, well, and, and and stepped over the line, not even so much just because as we talked a, a couple weeks ago, when the first time we even mentioned bathroom stuff, I talked about dog and cat bills. Um. It's one of these things I would say almost everyone in in the country has a general understanding of what they believe uh, someone's sex to mean. Uh, and this this sort of flies in the face of of I would say what the most widely held definition would be the you know your your biological your biological sex. so yeah. you know I had a, just a, before we end on this issue, I had a, a thought that, if let's say that you know this ends up becoming essentially kind of a law of the land and we have transgender bathrooms and so forth, I was actually wondering what this is going to do to the future of the urinal. I, I actually know? thought the same thing, and I, I would fully anticipate that there will at some point be be a, a transgendered male who will sue because there are no urinals in a woman's bathroom. I, I would just think I, that- I will put that out here right now. You heard me say it, uh, March fifteenth, twenty sixteen. That lawsuit will happen. Okay, well, we will we'll check on that. You know, I, I so we'll check in. That well, lawsuit will happen. What I was, what I went to look to, look to try to do, and this is very capitalistic of me. I think uh, you'll you'll be. I think you'll be favorably impressed. You're going to start selling urinals. Well, no, no. I was looking actually for publicly traded companies that focus on building uh, bathroom stall dividers. And I thought this would be a stock to, you know, to to invest in. This sounds like a growth industry if we're going to 
do away with urinals and and have more you know have more uh, essentially bathroom stalls and so forth. But I, I could not find any. I, I didn't look that hard. But anyway, I just thought that was sort of a an interesting sort of uh, minor aspect of this. Uh, but anyway, before we go, there was one thing. I, I I know we're running a little long today, but there was one story I absolutely needed to hear a little bit more about. You mentioned it before we went on. Something about Hillary Clinton and aliens. And not yes, not Hillary illegal Clinton aliens, is, I guess, but uh, a different kind right. of aliens. She, she, she likes all kinds of aliens, um, uh, legal, illegal, extraterrestrial even. Um, she made statements uh, saying that uh, one of the things she wants to do when she becomes president is to give wider access to government re- uh, records relating to UFOs. Uh, although she's used a new, a new term now because – Again, this is this is something I'll never understand about the left. Is you always have to come up with a UFO. Now they are uh, UAPs or UAP. unexplained aerial phenomenon. Oh, uh, boo! That's that's Hillary has, has expressed that. Um, so she is picking up, and this is this is in the New York Times. I think it was also in Mother Jones um, uh, that uh, she's really picking up some support from the UFO enthusiast community. Whoa! Um, Powerful voting and, block. Uh, well, I, I suppose so. And it's, it's it's interesting to remember if back in the 90s, Bill Clinton took similar steps uh, about opening up UFO records. And there was the, the Roswell report, uh, if that's to be believed, uh, <laughs> about what actually happened and that it was a, 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 a sort of a spy balloon testing. Um, the that, truth uh, is out there, crashed. Jay. I'm sure of the it. truth is out there. And I also want to say she joins in the you know, the democratic history of, uh, of UFO believers and enthusiasts, including Jimmy Carter, uh, who, who claims to have seen a UFO, uh, Dennis Kucinich, uh, who not only saw, but also sort of communed with a UFO, uh, while he was hanging out with Sherry McLean. Um, and, uh, now, now Hillary Clinton is, uh, is, is joining this and expanding, um, our access to, UFOs and uh, what's really going on. And so, let's let's not forget you mentioned those names. Let's not forget the uh, Jim Traffickant, who a former former member of Congress from your old stomping grounds. Right. So he used to end m- many of his speeches in Congress with "Beam me up, Scotty." Beam me up, Scotty. So yes. poor Jim Traffickant, a fun, uh, interesting character. Anyway, that's a great story. Uh, I think uh, I, I we will definitely keep an eye on that and see if the uh, UFO enthusiast vote is going to make much of a difference for Hillary Clinton in the general is, election. And also, well, this is this is sort of funny. If you do the search on Hillary and uh, UFOs, you also notice there are a bunch of these other UFO enthusiast sites that are are claiming that uh, part of the destroyed emails from the Secret Server. Uh, where it could contain the UFO information. Ah, well, yeah, of course. Um, and so this is this is the as you said, the truth is out there, uh, and it's no wonder that the FBI director is is taking his time to get to the bottom of this. No kidding. Uh, and uh, uh, Fox and uh, or uh, Mulder and Scully, I hope, will be on the case uh, tracking these emails down. Let's hope so. All right, um, that's it for this week's episode. Thanks everyone for listening. If you have any thoughts, comments, criticisms, or any questions for our Ask the Politics Guys show, which comes out every Wednesday, we'd love to hear from you. Our email is politicsguys at gmail.com. Our Facebook page, where Jay and I post and comment on news articles throughout the week, and where you can join in, is facebook.com slash politicsguyspage. And if you're listening to us on iTunes or Stitcher, we'd really appreciate it if you could take a minute to rate the show and write a quick review. And if you like what we're doing and want us to be able to keep on doing it, a donation of even a dollar or two, the price of a Leviton 15-amp, 125-volt, tamper-resistant duplex electric receptacle would really help. 
You'll find what donations. Is, what, is, what even is that? It's, you know, it's a, it's a thing you plug stuff into. They call it a receptacle. Okay. You know, anyway. Right. Um, anyway, that would – that's it's a, it's a very cheap kind of thing but very important just like supporting the politics guys. All right. You'll find donation links on our site, politicsguys.com. The Politics Guys will be back next Sunday. We hope you'll join us.